Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books and Anthropology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Reagan Gillum, a host on the channel, and today I'm talking to Dr. Anthony Russell Jerry, who is the author of the book, Blackness in Mexico, Afro-Mexican Recognition and the Production of Citizenship in the Costa Chica, published by University Press of Florida. Dr. Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to, uh, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's really great to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for coming. And I'm so excited to hear about your book and about your work in Afro-Mexico. And so I like to begin the podcast, you know, just hearing from the author. Um, I wondered if you could tell us about yourself and what prompted you to study Afro-Mexico and how you came to write this book. Sure. Um, So I I grew up in in Southern California, uh, San Diego specifically. And and growing up in San Diego as a as a black person, you know, I, I it was sort of obvious to me, right, that uh, that black and Mexican were sort of mutually exclusive, right? To be one meant to not be the other, and 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 vice versa. Um, and and growing up in the environment that I did, there were all kinds of sort of tensions, right, between black folks and Mexican folks, and in in the part of Southeast uh, San Diego where where I grew up. And so when I, when I went to Oaxaca for the first time in 2003, I went to the coast in Oaxaca and I, I was blown away, right. To see, to see black folks in, in Mexico. Right. And, and not only to sort of see folks that I identified as black folks, but folks that I, I recognized as, as potentially right. Could, could be members of my own family. Right. And then to have them recognize me in a particular way, Right. It just brought up all kinds of questions for me. Um, and, and so as an adult, you know, asking this question of how it is that growing up in, in, in Southern California, right, it was never brought to my attention. Right. That there were there were actually black folks in, in Mexico. And, and I later realized that part of the answer to that was that that Mexicans in general in the United States or in Mexico, the majority of of, of those folks are unaware. Right. That there's black folks in Mexico. And then you add the the politics, you know, around, around, you know, race and ethnicity in, in, in the United States into the mix. And then, 
you know, you've got a you, you've got a whole different thing there, right? So, the question then for me was was how to talk about this and 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 how to make sense of that, right? For myself, really, and so that's how I began to 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 start asking questions about blackness in Mexico. Yeah, thank you for that um, introduction. That was fascinating. It reminded me of a story that I had of a student who said to me one time, who was Mexican, and he said we were talking about black Puerto Ricans and he said, Puerto Rico sounds like Mexico, except in Mexico, we don't have any black people. And of course I had to say, no, no, you do. And it just, right. it just has to your, to what you were saying about usually this, um, this unawareness um, that there are black people in Mexico. Um, and so with, with your book, um, it's called blackness in Mexico. And one of the arguments I see you making is that blackness is like dark matter or what you call uh, the black subject position. And the subject position exists within the nation as a means against which mestizaje and whiteness is articulated. But I wanted to invite you to talk about what the book is about and what you're arguing in the book. Right. So, so I think the, the first thing I think is, is sort of quite literally, right, the, the book is about the process of black recognition in Mexico that started, um, I'll say, in the sort of later part of the, of the 2000s. Right. So what I wanted to do then was offer an ethnographic example or an ethnographic sort of uh, documentation of that process. I, I, I feel like I recognize that it as things began to sort of develop and, and things then started to change or, or evolve sort of rather quickly. I realized that that moment right, of, of, of recognition would soon be forgotten and, and the narratives around blackness right, would start to change. Um, and, and might not include um, that moment of, of official right government governmental recognition. So I think the first part then is 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 really about that, right? So so as a whole, the book is about that process of recognition. Um, but I think more than that, the book is really about black value, right? And the context in which blackness um, takes on value. Right. And also then the relationships that produce that value um, and then in which that value can be put to work and by whom. Right. So one of the questions that I have, right, is how is it that black folks are able or restricted right, from accessing the value that, that we create, that we produce for the rest of the world? And I think this process of recognition in Mexico really sort of uh, uh, allows for that to sort of uh, be clear and obvious, right? The ways in which Black folks can't necessarily access the means of representation for themselves, right? But how other folks are always trying to position, right? Black folks in a way, right, that allows them to extract value or to to uh, to benefit in some way, right? To to balance things, right? As as Black folks are attempting to to make their own experiences known, <clears throat> so. I think for, for, for me, then, those those two things, I think, would be at sort of the the heart of the book, right? And then another sort of related question or related theme in the book is, is sort of how do we think about citizenship? And how do we think about the actual relations around citizenship that then allow us to to think about how Blackness has been incorporated into that, right, into that relationship? So. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much for that. And it's so nice to hear the author 
say what the book is about. There's actually nothing, nothing like that. I think it's so helpful for readers, even people who have already read the book. It's, it's great to hear the author describe um, what it's about. And it kind of provides a lens then for other people as they go on to read the book or then rethink about what they read in the book. Um, and yeah, so, I wanted- so, okay. so I'm sorry. No, so so since, since the book is actually new, I'm really excited to, to hear what other people think the book is about. Right? And how, and how it is that they'll interpret, you know, what, what it is that I'm, that I'm trying to do in the book and how they'll relate it to, to other, uh, to other things. Right. So, yeah. No, and I'm sure that that will, that will, that will come in, that will come to you soon. Um, hopefully <laughs> listeners will <laughs> hear this uh, interview also and possibly, you know, uh, get in touch or, you know, again, think about what they're taking from the book. So right. I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted you to situate us in what constitutes Black Mexico. I think that, you know, Black Mexico or Afro Mexico tends to get, um, like less attention, I think, when we think about the African diaspora um, in general. And so the book is set, you, you did the research in the Costa Chica. Um, can you tell us about the, the town and region, um, about how many Black Mexicans are there in Mexico? Um, how did they arrive there? Just a just to context for us to, to you know, situate us in Afro-Mexico. Sure. So 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 with, with the, the process of recognition, in, in, in Mexico, at least the, 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 the part that I'm outlining in the book, that, that took place between or within the states of Oaxaca and Guerrero. Um, and, and I would argue that the Costa Chica really starts to begin um, in, in Oaxaca around the town of uh, Rio Grande, right? A little bit outside of, of Puerto Sundillo on the, on, the, uh, on the Pacific coast. And then, and then you know, pushes way into to the state of Guerrero. So so a lot of the stuff that I'm drawing on in the book then sort of spans that geography, right? And and I think though for those who know and those who exist in in that area, right, they would call that they they would see that sort of as a, a geography of blackness in Mexico, right? Um but, but there are also other regions, right, where folks are talking about blackness in Mexico and 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 have situated themselves in in other black geographies. Um and and of course, you know, the state of, of Veracruz would be a place, um, uh, the state of Mexico um, and, and a few other states in 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 Mexico. I, I think the, the issue, though, is really talking about those different geographies is somehow connected as one geography. Right. And, and, and that has yet to, I think, sort of uh, materialize. Right. That conversation. I know folks are having the conversation and, and they're talking about it, but I don't know that that it is sort of solidified yet, right, as, as this sort of broader, right, Black geography in Mexico. So the, the work that I'm doing in, in the space that I'm talking about is really the Costa Chica region in, in Oaxaca um, and part of Guerrero. And then I've, I've done a, a lot of the work comes from the Lagunas de Chacawa region um, there in, in Oaxaca as well. And so the... The interesting thing about that is it's a place where all of these different sort of racial and ethnic groups come together, right? You've got these geographic borders that that separate Black Mexicans on the coast from indigenous, you know, Mexicans on the, on the in the coastal mountains, and then surrounding mestizo, mestizo communities. So I think it was a it was a it was a perfect place to do this work. Um, as as far as the number of Black Mexicans go, or let's say, you know, the the preferred term I think by the government is Afro Mexicans. 
um, or Afro descendants, right? I, I think the number from 2027 is something about 2.5 million Afro descendants, right? Or African descendants. And, and that's tricky, right? That means that every, you know, 2% of the total population, right? Something like uh, two out of every 100 people would identify as or consider themselves to be Af- Afro descendants. But, but that's a tricky sort of conversation, right? And I'll give you an example of, of why. I was, I was a part of a, of, a, of a symposium and there was an activist there from Mexico and they explained that they considered themselves to be uh, Afro-descendant, but they didn't consider themselves to be black or Afro-Mexican. And when asked why, the reason was is that they saw it as part of their history, as part of their culture, right? But they didn't perceive themselves and were not perceived by others to be black, right? And so they, they reserved that space of black or negro or even Afro-Mexican, right, for other folks, right, that were either perceived by other people or perceived themselves to be black. So the question then is in that 2.5 million, right, how many folks actually perceive themselves or would be perceived to be by others to be black? And, and could that number be larger, right, because even folks who are perceived by others to be black might not, right, identify as being Black or African descendant, right? So that number is a, is a bit skewed, and and I think the questions around blackness in Mexico allow it to be sort of skewed, right? So you've got a whole bunch of what you know most people would consider non-black folks, right? The ability now to claim Afro descendants or Af, uh, Afro descend Afro Afro descendants without having to be able to put themselves in that position of, of blackness, right? Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's this the is long, like... that's the long answer, I guess. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's great. I mean, it's the perpetual, I think, struggle in Latin America. And it sounds like Mexico is not different, but then it has its own particularities, right? Um, right. So, yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then I think the last part of your question was how did, how did, you know, black folks arrive in Mexico? Right. And, and, and the answer, I think, there is 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 rather obvious. Um, and, and it doesn't seem as seem as obvious for a place like Mexico. Right. But they they arrived as enslaved labor. Right. They, they arrived in, in the early part of the colonial moment. Right. To to do a lot of the work. Right. That, um, you know, Spanish folks and and other folks wanted, you know, wanted them to do to build right the colony. So. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you you, know, you said that. One time, someone asked me in Brazil, how did uh, how did how did black people get to Brazil? They were like, was it through migration? And I had to say, no, no, it was it was slavery, like you know, like in the United States. And so, yeah, I, I just never think it's a it's you you can't say too much sometimes about about you know what happens in different countries and these historical processes and whatnot. Well, if you if you ask a lot of Mexicans today, right about. And and if if they're aware of black folks in Mexico, their their understanding is that they come from Cuba. So immigration is is the obvious answer to them, right? Because there was no slavery supposedly in Mexico and these kinds of things, because it's just not a part of the the education, right? And so so it, you know that that idea of immigration, right, is something that it it seems obvious, right? It seems that that's got to be the answer, right? And Cuba then is the obvious place for that immigration. But, but it's it's not the case, right? For the majority of Black folks in Mexico, it's not the case. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, so I was going to take you more into this process of recognition that you said that, that you know, which is what the, the book is about. Um, and so in the book, like there's this constant disjuncture between the state wanting to recognize blackness and how activists wanted it recognized. Um, and this really comes to the fore in chapter three, where you accompany these consultas, I think they're called. Um, and they're they're like doing the work of making blackness present. Um, and so this was really fascinating to me because at least in the United States, for example, you know, and even in Brazil, I think, um, you know, there's this idea of like what blackness means, how to count it, how to recognize it, even if it's contested. Um, but in Mexico, like you're working with people at the ground level with the government trying to figure out how to recognize blackness. And so what prompted the government to even just begin this endeavor? And, you know, how, how were they trying to recognize blackness? Yeah. So, so I, I think talking to some of the activists, some of the activists suggested the year of the Afro, uh, of the African descendant, right? The, the UN, I want to say in, in 2011, um, they, they, they decided that I think it was 2011 would be the year of the Afro descendant, right? And so the activists, and, and, and this might sort of be, I don't know, cynical or, or, or skeptical, right? But I, but I think it's, it's true. The activists argued that that was sort of the motivation, right? That this gave Mexico the opportunity to demonstrate to the world, right? That they were uh, on board with the mission of human rights and these kinds of things. And, and black people had been in Mexico had been pushing for, for, for quite a while, right? To, to, to get this conversation going, but it seemed like that year of, of the year of African descent and the UN declaration, right? Made it the perfect time to do that, right? To then, you know, broadcast broadcast this project internationally, right? And then how how were they trying to recognize blackness? What were some of the disjunctures that you were seeing with the with the consultas and in this process sure. of trying to to recognize it? So so the 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 CDI basically the the Commission for Indigenous Development uh, in in Mexico had undertaken a project I want to say in the in the nineties. Um, where they were actually cataloging right indigenous cultural elements, and they were they were putting these things on paper, and they had this this booklet, um, you know, it must be twelve pages at least, twelve to fifteen pages, and they had this booklet of all of these different categories, right, economy, um, um, uh, other sort of you know religious uh, activities, right, all of these anthropological right uh, categories, right, that allowed them to recognize these groups and then say, hey, and that's how this group is different from another indigenous group. So so the CDI actually took that booklet, right, and applied it then to black communities in Mexico, or at least there, there in the Costa Chica while I was there. And, and the issue was then is that a lot of these sort of categories or themes didn't necessarily apply to, to black folks in Mexico at the time. Right. And that's one of the interesting thing, things that's starting to change now, because now you have young activists who are actually looking towards Africa and other places and they're incorporating these things right into the sort of cultural repertoire. Right. As a way to represent themselves or, 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 or present themselves as different right, within the racial and ethnic landscape of, of Mexico. But at this time, right, the, the, those things didn't necessarily apply to black folks. So they said, Hey, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of religion do you practice? And they said, Oh, well, we're Catholics. Right. And they said, okay, well, what kind of language do you speak? And they said, Oh, well, we speak Spanish. Right. And all, all of these things seem to miss 
right? The the the, the point of, of of blackness in Mexico, but still they 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 did these things, um, and they and they began to collect, right? This sort of cultural rep- repertoire, right? That that would allow them to say, this is how you can recognize black folks in Mexico, and and so then the, it it really was a cultural project, right? And rather than focus on on issues of you know, exclusion and discrimination and, and, and you know, perhaps you know, education, poverty, these kinds of things. What they really wanted to do was recognize black folks as a distinct cultural group. Right. And so so that really laid the foundation, I think, for the language that the activists and other people could actually rely on to then begin to negotiate with the government and talk about themselves and represent themselves to the nation. And so now, you know, 10 years later, you can see the impacts uh, the, the the impacts that that project of recognition has actually had on the ways in which people are are talking about blackness in Mexico or the language right for the representation of blackness what, one of the one of the i think best examples is is the switch from negro to afro mexican right i think that's that's a that that's a that's a a really strong example that that has become part of the language now right that even activists are using when they talk about themselves as as Black Mexicans. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And so in the book, um, you include in chapter five, um, narratives from individual Afro-Mexicans. And I get this question about my research in Brazil a lot, and people ask me, what does it mean to be Black in Brazil? And so one thing I found that was interesting about Blackness in Mexico is that it doesn't seem to include this awareness of being part of like the larger African diaspora. Um, and so I wondered, um, so that was one of the, the things I took that was really interesting. Um, but, but what did, did blackness mean um, to your participants um, in in the in your research? So, so I think at the time, and I, and I would say that this is still true. I think. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I think at the time, uh, the, the idea of blackness in Mexico was sort of local, right? It, it was it was it was blackness for these folks was a, a, a way of being Mexican, right? And 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 a way that sort of uh, to articulate that, right? Is is I met some folks in in the Costa Chica, and they they asked me where I was from, right? And I told them, you know, about my my father's family's journey from the South to Chicago to California. And and somebody said, yeah, but I bet your grandmother was from Mexico, right? And and every time I would 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 talk to folks, they would try to figure figure out a way to situate my blackness, right, in Mexico which then allowed them to keep that sort of local understanding of, of what blackness was. Right. 
and, and, and the way that I see that is at the time, the diaspora, right, wasn't necessarily a, a tool, right, that these folks needed to, to draw on, right? But more and more, the diaspora is becoming more and more, uh, more and more important, right, to the ways in which people are representing themselves. And to see that process, right, sort of take shape over the last 10 years, I think has been, has, has been interesting. But, but I think that the activists, and I think a lot of people, right, because there's a difference uh, between the way that sort of, you know, these activists who have been educated in a particular way are representing themselves and, and the ways that they identify in the projects, right, that they're trying to engage in. There's a difference between that and the way in which your, you know, average sort of local Black Mexican from, from a small rural town, right, might imagine themselves, right, and, and, and their, their place in the world. And so I think that the the activists have sort of become savvy at speaking right different languages right or or or, or engaging in different registers around blackness right and so they can speak the the in the diasporic context but then in a more local context right they can then talk in in that way um, but but I don't know that other folks sort of you know what we might just say the sort of general right uh, community folks are engaging in that diasporic sort of conversation quite yet, but, but they are definitely engaging in the cultural conversation and they're definitely, definitely, especially in places where tourism is big, right? They're trying to figure out a way to represent their communities through this cultural context that then uh, creates some value that tourists, tourists can then um, um, so, some, somehow engage in, right. Or, or somehow consume, I guess I would say not, not to be cynical, but. Yeah, no, and I think that actually kind of takes me to the next question, this question of like representation um, and and the kinds of ideas that people have about blackness, um, because I wanted to ask you about the cover of the book. Um, I thought the book was just stunning. Uh, it was really like stuck out quite a bit. Um, it has this like black and white wood carving on the cover and it's like a looks like a woman, um, you know, and it's like her from her profile um, and it's uh and it's called La Negra, and it's by, I'm not sure if I'm going to say her name right, I.D. Rodriguez-Lopez. And um, I thought it was just interesting, given the, the context of what you talk about, um, because, because of all these questions about people trying to determine what constitutes Black culture in Mexico. Um, and so I wondered if you could talk about the cover of the book in relationship to the, to the book, um, to the arguments and, and the material in the book. Yeah, sure. I, I think the, the the cover of the book, I think, sort of, in in some ways, is 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 a contradiction, right, to to the argument I'm making in the book because the cover might make someone seem or, or someone feel, right, that uh, it might make it seem that that there is this or was this particular representation of blackness at the time, right? Um, but but of course, that there were artists and activists, right, who were engaged in in that project of trying to you know uh, uh, reach out to to younger folks and, and people in the community to embrace their their own blackness right to 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 sort of revalue I think uh, uh, their, their blackness in the context of, of the region and, and, and the nation and those kinds of things and so Ide then is is one of those artists slash activists who's been engaged in that kind of work for a long time and in the book I, I you know share one of her, narratives and 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 she she told me that when she was when she was a, a kid right people would sort of laugh at her for being so dark right and 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 then she began to paint and she would paint these figures 
right? That looked like her and, and, and other folks in the community. And even the black folks in the community would tell her, hey, why do you paint those negatives, right? They're, they're just, they're so ugly and these kinds of things. And so I, they really took it upon herself, right? To incorporate these kinds of themes into, into her art. Um, she, she has a, uh, a painting of what's called the uh, naufragio, the uh, the middle passage, um, and that middle passage then is is one of the pictures that I was hoping would be on the cover. But I think the I think the the representation, how do I say this? The actual painting itself, right, um, wasn't as as bright and as as uh, as uh, what's the word? Maybe in focus, right? As as the actual wood carving. I was trying to find a way to add all of those things to to the cover. Um, but I, I, but I also thought that the cover actually represented the ways in which people imagine, right. Or would like to see, right. And so that's kind of a trick then, right. You see this thing that you think might be right. You know, specifically about, uh, this group of people when actually it's about the process, right. That goes into producing those folks, right. That goes into producing this particular, um, social location, I guess I would say. Yeah, I think the theme of like of disjuncture comes out in the in the book too, um, in the in the cover as well. I was I was thinking that I was glad. So you confirmed what I was thinking, which is the, yeah. the contradiction between the cover and the argument. Um, and I, I saw the you know the narrative in there too, and I was like, one would one would look at the cover and think, oh, this is like kind of an ethnography of of black culture. But it, but as you said, it's it's not. It's it's an ethnography of the production of the category of blackness or the recognition of it. Um, yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm really glad that that came through because at the time that I was doing the work, it, my, my intention was to do that ethnography of culture of, of, a, of, a, of a black group, right, of a, of a cultural group. And, and I found that that ethnography at that time was impossible to do, right, because, because it had yet to really sort of begin to exist, right, in, 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 in the same way. And, and don't get me wrong, there's some, there's some folks who have tried to do that work. Um, Beltran is one back in, in, in the you know, 40s, 50s and those kinds of things. Um, but but to try to do that, you know, in, in 2010 or, or, you know, 2005 or whatever else, I think it, it Beltran had his own problems. And I think those same problems existed and, and it, it pushed me away from that strategy. Right. And, and so I'm glad you recognize that with the cover, because it's what you think you're going to read is not what you get. Right. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And what you what you get is, is something um, obviously equally, if not more interesting, where because you're you're following these people around trying to figure out how, as you as you just gave the example of how to how to count and um, how to how to make it, you know, make it known. Um and so, and as you you just said that you um, that you were you were talking to people and telling them your story, and so you're you're actually a constant presence in the book. The book is very ethnographic, um, as you just said. You are an ethnographer, and I know people will enjoy that as they read the book. Um, the kind of you know detail that you get and how you are also there as well, um, and we're you know following you through the book. And so, you know, sometimes people are like perplexed by you. They're confused about where you're from. And as, as you just gave that example, they think you're from like either the United States or Central America or Africa. Um, and so I wondered, what was it like doing this ethnographic research? Um, can you share any challenges or opportunities um, from doing the field work? Sure. I, I think that the real challenge was sort of, you know, what, what I would refer to as sort of locating blackness right in the area. Right. And 
And and and what I found is is as I said, I arrived intending to do that ethnography, right? Asking people about being black and all of these great things that would show me, right, what it meant to be black in in in, in Mexico. And and I realized that the challenge was locating that anywhere. People would sort of deflect that and they would push it right somewhere else. And they would say, Yeah, you know, I'm 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 black. But if you really want to talk to black folks, right, if you really want to talk to negros, you've got to go to the next community. And then and then those folks would push me to the next community and so on and so on. And then it would be this circular process. Right. You'd have to start over because somebody told you to go back to where, where you had started. Right. And, and so the challenge was then to, to think about how it was that I could could conduct an ethnography, not of a thing right, or a people but an actual process, an actual political process that was that was underway at the time. And so trying to figure out how to switch from documenting the thing to really focusing on the process, right? That is the starting point of a thing or the production of something, right? Was 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 the real challenge. Um, and, and, I, and I'm glad I had to work that out, right? Sort of there in the field. Um, it, it, it wasn't a part of sort of the methodologies that I had been trained in or that I had figured out, you know, I thought after writing grants and these kinds of things were, were going to be useful to me, you know, and so, and so getting there and trying to figure out how to then sort of, you know, craft, right, this methodology that could allow me to focus on the process was, was the real, was the real issue for me. Yeah, that's really important to, I think, to share and to talk about, because those are some of the things that ethnographers have to deal with on the ground, right, is that you might have these challenges thrown at you in the moment, and you have to pivot, and you have to, like, shift things around on on the spot, and yeah. figure it out as you go along. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting, right, because as, you know, as someone who works with, with graduate students, you know, we, we teach our students, right, or, or we, we, we require our students to have this idea of a project, and then we require them to write a methodology section on something they really don't know enough about right and so then getting to this particular place and finding right that they don't necessarily know right what they were going to find then requires that you go back to the drawing board and and i think most of us probably experience that but for some reason we still teach it in a way that's like you know that's about knowing right and then and then coming up with this this draft that may not serve you right mm-hmm. absolutely Absolutely. And, and knowing when to pivot and how to pivot and the kind of anxiety that can come with that, right? Because yes. you don't know, is this, is this a thing? Is this going to work out? Is this, should, should I shift my project completely to, so there's all these questions around it. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and we don't teach that part, I guess, is, is maybe, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe something we could focus on a little more, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's important. I, that's why one of the reasons I like this podcast is because you hear these background stories that you don't, you would never, you wouldn't know this, you know, from reading the book. Um, so it's just important, I think, to share these kinds of things. Um, and so also, so you mentioned, and well, you just talked about teaching students, and so you mentioned in the book that you brought students to Mexico to learn about, I think, Afro Mexican cooking and culinary traditions. Um, and so I wanted to ask how you teach students about Afro Mexico and this material, um, either through the study abroad or even just in, in your classrooms um, in the United States. Yeah, I, I, th- I think for me the, the study abroad or, or taking, you know, the students. To, to those communities, I think for me is, is a real, um, I don't see myself as a teacher, 
right? I, I don't want to tell them things and I don't want them to, you know, necessarily get information from me. I see it as an opportunity to sort of show, right? An, an opportunity to collaborate, an opportunity to participate um, in, in this process of, of seeking, right? Of, of knowledge production, I guess, or one part of that process of knowledge production. And so I think what, what, I, what I do with the students is I try to use it as an opportunity to ask questions and to sort of get rid of some of the, you know, the, the quote unquote facts, right, that they operate around. And so, you know, taking students to Mexico um, when they think they know everything there is to know, right, about Mexico and then introducing them to these, the, the, the activists and the folks working in these communities and the surrounding, I think, you know, it, it puts them in a position to have to ask, just like I did when I got there, why, how, you know? And and I think that right there is really the is really the sort of space of learning right that I that I that I try to engage in uh, on these on these trips with the students um, and it's it's been it's been it's been interesting. I've got a couple of students who are, are writing their dissertations now um, in in or on and in Oaxaca, um, and I think they've they've sort of taken that approach as well, right? And so it's allowed them to really sort of ask some, some questions that might not have been possible um, without that, that, that process of interrogation. I think that that's a study abroad really allows for. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and Mexico is obviously our neighbor to the South and we feel, especially in Southern California, we feel like we know so much about it. And, um, and we, we, we do, we, we get a lot of culture crossing the border, but there's still things that we don't know, right? There's still yeah, and, so many and, aspects. And I'm so I'm so glad you bring that up because one, one of the things that I'm trying to figure out now, right, is that because we're so close to Mexico and because there is this relationship, right, and, and this sort of uh, sort of give and take back and forth, right, it, it really seems to me that the recognition of Blackness in Mexico, right, historically and in the present, right, actually has some potential to impact Right, the idea of Mexicanness in the United States, and so I'm really interested to see sort of what you know Mexicans from the United States, right, Mexican Americans are going to do with that information, and how is that information then going to push them or not to reimagine their own identities, right? Uh, especially in this this sort of the, the the idea that that blackness and Mexicanness are mutually exclusive, right? So so for example, in in, in the in in the Southwest and in, in Maybe you know, sort of when when someone is supposedly half Mexican and half black, right? There's this term that people use called uh, blackxican, right? And 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 recognizing that blackness has always been a part of Mexicanness, right, makes that term sort of absurd, right? It's it's only within the context of the you of, of of the idea the the mutual exclusivity of blackness and Mexicanness that that term makes sense, right? So I'm wondering then. How is it that the work on Black Mexico is going to impact right, an understanding of Mexicanness even beyond right, uh, the nation or, or, or the, the you know Mexico as a country? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot opening up. I think, um, and as you said, with this, with the UN, with the Year of the Afro Descendant, and the, like the like Black cultural politics and racial politics on a global scale is paving these new pathways, I think, in different places that are only going to take us to new, you know, new findings. Um, 
So the, so this is my, I guess, uh, second to last question. Um, but Blackness in Mexico is your first book, I think, which so congratulations on that. And um, I wondered if you could share any insights into the process of moving from dissertation to the first book. Um, and like, for example, was there anything you wish you had known before the process? Or is there any advice that you would offer anyone uh, beginning their first book journey now? Sure. Yeah, I think I think the first thing to to know, right? And if if I would have known, um, it, it, that that would have been helpful. Is is I think the fact that the, you know the press isn't going to publish your dissertation, right? And so the question then is, how do you write this dissertation that's going to turn into a book, right? But how is it that you write the dissertation um, with that in mind, right? With the with with the understanding that okay, this is the dissertation draft. And then I'm eventually going to have to figure out how to turn this into something that the press will publish that is, a, 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 in a lot of ways, a completely different thing than what I'm writing now. Right. So, so one of the things is I, I came up with this title to really sort of, you know, uh, sort of capture the process. I felt that I was I was I was involved in, 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 in the project. And so I, I, I titled the dissertation Chasing Blackness. Right, because I really thought that's what was going on. That's what I was doing. That's what the government was doing. That's what black activists and these kinds of things were doing. Right, they were chasing this thing, right, and and it was sort of elusive because it would always move, and and there were all these reasons, right, and competing reasons, right, that we were all sort of chasing this thing, and so I thought that really captured the process. And then I find out that the the press says, no, no, we can't use that as the title, because the dissertation is is you know, has the same title and we don't publish dissertations and that would, you know, that's against our policy and whatever. So they allowed me to name to, to the first chapter. They allowed me to use the title chasing blackness and, and it worked as a methodology. Right. But, I, but I think that after it was said and done, right. I, I think if I would have known that I probably would have held that back <laughs> you know, a, a little bit. Right. So I could really explore that as the, as the book title. Um, and, and then for me, I think the, the other part is is trying to figure out, you know, where and in what conversations is the book going to be situated? Right. And sometimes I think we try to do maybe too much. Right. And trying to figure out how I was going to situate a book um, within Mexican studies, within the work on Oaxaca, but also think about black study. Right. And also think about, you know, uh, having a conversation with black folks. Right. was was I, I, th I think I, I would have benefited from from being able to to really think about the the contradictions between those spaces a little more early on in the project. And so it was something that I had to do later on. Um, and, and I still don't know if I was successful, you know, but but, but we'll see. Yeah, I think you I think you were quite successful. And that was really interesting to, to share that you couldn't use the the title of the book. Uh, that, yeah, that was the same as the dissertation. I had no idea that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's just with 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 Florida, but but um, but you know, I've heard over and over again that you know the the, the first thing that a lot of the press will say is we don't publish dissertations, right? So I've been working with my own students to say, hey, the dissertation is its own thing, and you're going to write that dissertation, but remember, you're going to turn this into a book, right? And and hopefully, if that's the direction there. And if they're still going to publish books, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know, hopefully that's the goal. And so thinking about that now, I think is something I try to, you know, put on their radar at least. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and sometimes people give the advice, like, write your dissertation like a book. But and so sometimes people try to do that. But usually it's it just is almost impossible to do that. And so and as you said, if the press is saying we're not going to pop, we don't publish dissertations, then that, that leaves you yep. in a bind, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Then you've done yourself a disservice, right? And so I think write the best dissertation you can write, right, would be my advice to myself then. Right. But remember that this dissertation is not going to be the book. So so don't think you're just going to, you know, push the one thing right into the next. Right. So, Yeah, that's great advice. Um, and so now that uh, Blackness in Mexico is out into the world, um, what is your next project that you're working on or what are you what are you thinking about working on? What's on the horizon for you uh, in the future? Yeah. So, so in, in 2016, I, I took a, was it 20, no, maybe 2016 or 2015, but I took a group of students down to Oaxaca and we started collecting uh, these recipes. Um, and some, some of them are, are culinary recipes. Other ones are sort of remedies. Right. Um, and we came back, you know, I had this whole uh, list of recipes and I talked to some people in other communities and, and they said, yeah, those aren't black recipes because we make those things too. Right. And so one of the questions I had is, is how is it that blackness will be sort of incorporated into, right, the sort of uh, general Mexican, right, cultural uh, repertoire. Right. And so what, I, what, I, what I'm working on now is trying to figure out how to incorp- incorporate these recipes as an example, right, to talk about how it is that black folks can represent themselves, right, as Mexican um, and, and how it is that non-black Mexicans might be willing or not, right, to accept, right, their, uh, the idea of Blackness as being part of their own culture, right, their own histories, the things that they've taken for granted all along as being non-Black, right? And so, so that work then requires that, or I think it does. First of all, it requires sort of an interrogation in anthropology's role um, in sort of this process of cultural recognition, right? This process of creating categories and, and making distinct group of, group of peoples and those kinds of things. But it also then I think requires that I do some work in the Southwest to think about how it is that Mexican identities have been produced here, right? Specifically as non-Black, right? And to think about then what it would mean then for, you know, uh, 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 a non-Black Mexican in the United States, right? To think about the fact that black folks in Mexico claim these same recipes as part of their cultural heritage, right? As part of their traditions, right? As part of their, uh, their ways of being, right? And, and so thinking about then what that's going to mean, I think is, is, is the next project. So. That is, that's great. And so we will be on the lookout for that, a black food project, but in Mexico, that is, that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Um, That's great. So I have been talking to Dr. Anthony Russell Jerry, who is the author of the book Blackness in Mexico, Afro-Mexican Recognition and the Production of Citizenship in the Costa Chica, published by the University Press of Florida. Thank you so much, Dr. Jerry, for talking with us on the podcast and for writing this book. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun.